You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 216. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached another Local Maximum. A little bit of warning for today. It's going to get a little bit political up in the house today, and I know some of you are here for the tech, and we will resume that eventually. And of course, I'm going to connect, uh, you know, my Bayesian analysis to COVID policy at some point as well. And next week, we're going to um, go, we're, we're going to be hearing from some people in Ukraine, from some Ukrainians uh, about just what they're living through. It's actually not going to get too geopolitical. It's just, you know, uh, let's talk about all w- what's going on. It's just, I, I feel like we're all very affected by it. I am. And I've just been collecting personal stories, and I'd like to share them on this platform. So they're still coming in, and uh, I will I will do that next week. I got uh, a lot of submissions to get a, a, a just a, a little bit of a picture of what's going on. It's going to be a little bit different from what you're getting in the media, not not in terms of narrative-wise, just actually hearing from, from people who are, who are there living through it. So anyway, uh, let's get into what we're talking about today. We have a very interesting discussion. Today, we're going to start diving into all of the coercive effects by governments ostensibly to stop COVID or to lessen COVID. And these really were very disruptive to our lives. And I think it's very fair to ask, was it worth it? And not just was it worth it, but, you know, was what the government did uh, justified or unjustified? Was it understandable? Uh, You know, even if it didn't work out, like I could see making decisions that, um, you know, maybe uh, weren't um, correct in hindsight, but were understandable at the time, or were some of these decisions just criminal? So let me give you a personal example. You know, I was personally very cautious during the first couple of months during the pandemic. I was in Brooklyn and Fort Greene. Uh, I didn't go out very much. I remember uh, actually in 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 that that big week, I don't know if it was like the first week of April, I was actually I got my like laundry picked up and delivered. Um, so I went to <laughs> to that extreme. Uh, I wasn't going to stay in my studio, though, for more than a week or two. Um, and even that was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, I had uh, I had um, food delivered. It was so weird, though, even even after, you know, a couple months, they still wouldn't like come to the door. They, they'd not, the, the, the people who were delivering your food, they put the food down in front of your door, they'd knock and they'd run away as fast as you can. Like somehow they had that elevator <laughs> ready to go because I never saw them there. Um, and you know, it was kind of weird. You're sort of in isolation. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, um, what, what, what's that in prison where they, 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 they isolate you. I guess it wasn't that bad because you have all the tech at your disposal. I was still doing the podcast. You, I was still had lots of entertainment. I had zoom, but you know, it was kind of like, huh, I haven't seen anyone today. Um, so, uh, you know, the fir- let's not forget, you know, some of the things that happened during the first couple of months, um, uh, we didn't know what this thing was. Someone at Foursquare, sadly, in Seattle, uh, in his 20s, kind of died unexpectedly. I, I didn't know him, but it was very sad. It, it turned out not to be COVID, but we didn't know that at the time. And we had reports, true reports of death everywhere in the world, but it was difficult to estimate whether various activities were increasing our risk or or not. Um, although there were a few kind of signs of like, hey, this is a good idea, this is a bad idea. So 
spent a couple months largely inside. That extreme time was maybe only for a week or two getting different kinds of works done. I don't regret it. It's not like I gave up that time. I actually, I put it to good use. Uh, you know, I did things that I normally wouldn't do if I was in the office all day. So, you know, and at, during that time, I'm sure I did some things that were over the top in retrospect. For example, you know, for the first couple of weeks, cleaning off the packages or putting food in the microwave. I actually did that. That totally was not needed. Uh, and I realized that after a couple of weeks, but we didn't know at the time. We didn't know how dangerous it was. So it was like, why not do it? I actually remember I had, uh, I ordered some mozzarella sticks, right? And um, I, uh, w- I, I put a few in the microwave, heated them up, ate them. And then uh, there was one left that I forgot. So I put that one in the microwave and somehow it uh, burst into flames. It wasn't dangerous at like, you know, it just kind of exploded. And, you know, I was on the phone with someone. And he's like, you got it. That was the one with COVID. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, it, it wasn't in the food. So um, it's when, the, I, I, and I don't regret doing that either because I didn't know, you know, I mean, at some point I was kind of starting to see, okay, this is very unlikely to, to be causing a problem. I shouldn't be doing this. And then I switched over after a few days, a week. Okay, sure. That seems rational to me. Uh, maybe we could re-examine some of that at some point, uh, and uh, kind of go back to what Aaron and I were saying and see what we got right and we got wrong. But I think that it's when this goes on for many months into years for some people. You know, as soon as I I moved to New Hampshire a year ago, and I, things have been relatively normal since then, and that's not for everybody. So it's when this goes that long that you're really giving up time, and uh, you're giving up health in other ways, which is really all we have. And I think for a lot of people, it was hard to make that switch from taking temporary precautions because of the uncertainty to getting back to normal as data on the virus's properties came into view. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to call out some previous episodes. Episode 110 was when all hell was breaking loose and we had our pandemic update. That's the one maybe Aaron and I should uh, go back to episode 112 with uh, Naomi Brockwell on the on the beginnings of that. And then episode 115 uh, on some of the models that governments were using and the CDC was putting out to kind of describe what was going to happen that uh, weren't quite working out. So what about the government? Could they at least be rational if us mere mortals can't be irrational. <laughs> Seems like to me that our so-called leaders were the least rational. They were promoting, uh, promoting COVID hysteria on one hand, you know, and, and the media as well. Do you remember that week when like there were kids going to the beach or kids, you know, college students going to the beach on, uh, on spring break in like Miami and they were like the most evil people in the world for that for like 24 hours. Uh, that's kind of a, a big media moment right there. And then on the other hand, that same media and, and the same political leaders were then telling people to take to the streets and to protest various issues. Now, maybe I wouldn't support a forced lockdown order or, or any of these you know, coercive actions under any circumstances because I think it's wrong. You know, same with the mask mandate. Um, this needs to be done voluntarily by people and, and, and businesses. But well, you know, just to unpack that a little bit, uh, you know, I, I think that if private businesses were able to choose their mask policies, you know, people would take it a little more seriously because everybody would know, hey, that's the store with the mask uh, mandate and people who are uh, comfortable uh, 
only going to places where people wear masks and take it very seriously can go to that store and then they don't have to worry. But if it's everywhere, then uh, if you really want to mask up, then you're going to um, be in the store with people who don't really want to do it and might not take it as seriously. So uh, that's, that's kind of a problem. And so it, it would be, people would be like respectful uh, when there are you know, plenty of non-mask places to go as well. Same with the vaccines and the vaccine mandates. So if you're going to disrupt lives and potentially ruin them, um, you know, I could at least understand if I don't support it, if there was strong evidence that these policies uh, 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 saved lives, if there was good evidence for that. But what if there's no evidence that a single life was saved? You know, we'd often hear, you know, if it saves a single life, but what if it didn't save a single life? And what if we're not sure if it saved any lives? Then these policies become, you know, completely messed up and something that we don't want to repeat. I'm sure we'll repeat, but hopefully, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we repeat mistakes like it, but uh, hopefully try to prevent uh, the next pro- the, 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 the next mistake from being the same mistake. So now, finally, the masks and the vaccine mandates are being lifted around the country in D.C., in New York today, although I heard businesses have stopped uh, checking your vaccine cards, I heard a few days ago. Actually, hang on just a sec. Just grabbing my phone here because I got a text this morning from New York, which has, uh, this whole time I've been here in New Hampshire, this whole year New York's been texting me, New York City, about, you know, how the the key to the city we're going to give you the like it's it's the fun time you're going to get key to the city which is basically you're going about your day-to-day business in the city but we're checking your uh, your phone all the time and uh today this morning at 8:41 a.m. I got a text notify NYC the city has suspended the key to the city NYC program and made mask optional in NYC public schools for K through 12 students link just matter of fact we're doing it um, you know, and I love when they roll out these policies, there's like, great news, we have the key to the city program, we are making you show your papers everywhere, it's wonderful, it's going to save the world, it's going to, you know, make the, and then when they remove it, they're, they don't try to make a positive spin on it, they're just like, yes, announcement, we're removing it, <laughs> that's it, so, um, so in, in New York, that stopped today. It was very jarring, actually, um, last time I was in New York, and that, that was way back in uh, November, and I'll be back uh, in a few weeks. Um, it was very jarring to be walking around in a store for 30 minutes. I think it was Italy in uh, downtown Italy. Um, and uh, I was just checking out items, whatever, but as soon as I had to all order a coffee in that very store, they needed to check my license and picture of my uh, vaccination card uh, from New Hampshire. And I was like, you know, this is America? Give me a break. Am I to understand that, uh, and, and, you know, ah, man, misread this a little bit. So some vac, uh, anti-vaxxers uh, were over the top online. Uh, let's not face this. Uh, uh, let's not uh, ignore that. And, you know, there are people who were kind of against the lockdowns and, and pro-liberty who sometimes spread misinformation to um, to back up their opinion as well. Uh, you know, I remember when they were saying, everybody who's going to get the vaccine would drop dead. And I thought, hmm, do I want to be the last person alive on earth or <laughs> the last person alive along among with these people? I'm not so sure. But, you know, I saw the data coming in and it comes with risks and upside. And so, I, you know, I made a quasi-informed decision on it. My clincher on the vaccine was that, you know, vaccines with long-term effects also have significant 
short-term effects. And that seems to be true for every vaccine in history. So, um, you know, maybe there have been some short-term effects, but they weren't incredibly dramatic, um, although we're, we're finding more about it now. But as we hear later, you know, people got so crazed with making sure that uh, on the other side, with making sure that everyone around them got this vaccine. Remember, it was like everyone in the restaurant has to have a vaccine. Everybody in uh, the flight has a vaccine. I have a right to live in a world where I only interact with people who are vaccinated with this thing. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, just because it, it, it's over doesn't mean we should start, stop talking about it. I think, you know, COVID isn't over. Uh, it'll be around for a while. This virus will be around for a while, maybe forever. And these things can come back. But also, you know, the right time to prevent these policies and these manias from taking over is beforehand. Because in March 2020, when this is starting, you know, we were all trying to figure out what was going on. Um, you know, it was too late at that point to really stop what government was going to do because they already had that power to do it. And sure, there are some people who, who, who tried to stop it within the government. But, you know, under so much uncertainty... It's hard to, uh, you know, it's hard to make those decisions. And um, it, it, all of us individuals, we have to figure out how to make the right decisions for ourselves and our families. And we have to worry about that, not what the government is doing at that time. You know, if you're like, hey, you know, we're in danger of getting sick, we've got to figure out what the people around us are doing, not what government is, is doing. So it's, it's really hard to fix it at the time. Some people tried, but... Now we can have the discussion with some distance, looking at what we need to do in the future and how maybe we could restrain government in the future. So I'm going to have several different discussions about this. Today's discussion is with a free stater here in New Hampshire. And uh, hey, uh, I will admit that this conversation went in some directions that I was not expecting and prepared for. And uh, I know some of you listeners out there might have a hard time unpacking it all. So, you know, for example, when he refers to dictator Biden, hey, that's a conversation we can have. Democracy versus dictatorship. What have we lost in this country? But I understand it's a lot to unpack. So, you know, now we have to say, what is democracy? Are our leaders legitimate? And, and that's a much bigger discussion to have. Um, one thing I will disagree, I think I, I wouldn't call the, the governor of New Hampshire a uh, a dictator. I think the governor of New Hampshire is, uh, you know, leader of the freest state in the in the country. But hey, some people, particularly free staters, have much higher standards than I do. I get it. So feel free to put that aside because we get into some really good stuff. Like for the masks, what can side effects be of wearing these every day? Is it just a harmless masks? Uh, you know, Sounds like not. Sound, you know, sure, it's just a mask. Why, what's your problem? Put it on, uh, you know, for a few hours. If one day I decide to wear a mask for a few hours, maybe that's fine. But, you know, what's the effect over months and months? I think, you know, I think that's, uh, that's not so simple. And, 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 you know, what were politicians actually thinking when they were passing these policies? Were they thinking about you and me? Uh, I'm not so sure. So let me know what you think about this discussion you can talk to me on Locals at Maximum.Locals.com, or you can email me at LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Now, my next guest has a background as a paramedic, an EMT, and is a free stater in New Hampshire with a passion for maximizing personal liberty. He is also the author of the book, Corona Fascism. Alu Axelman, you've reached the Local Maximum. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I honestly, I I'm not sure we talked about COVID on the show for a little while. I could be wrong, but I feel like, man, that first uh, week in March, we had like every week it was like all COVID all the time. But um, anyway, uh, let's uh, let's just start by. Um, talking about your book. You wrote a book called COVID Fascism. Uh, when when did you write that and, and why did you decide to write that book? Yeah, I wrote Corona Fascism. I published it maybe May or so of 2021. 2021. Okay, so it's been so, a while. Here's right. the book. Uh, let me see if I can okay. get it with the background. Great. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. I'll link to it. Yeah, and it's on Amazon and everything. So I was not going to write another book. I wrote the Blueprint for Liberty and published that. I self-published it on Amazon in like February or March or so. And then right after that, it was it was really getting bad with Corona fascism. And I was starting to question a lot of the narrative. I had been questioning it kind of since the beginning. A lot of things like the, the Ukraine propaganda now, a lot of the propaganda didn't sit right with me. Just the way they were shoving Corona fascism down our throats more than any propaganda has ever been shoved down our throats ever. So I started doing more research and, and looked at the statistics, which were pretty easy to see, were not as high as they were kind of making them seem in the news. And the news were making it seem like everyone was dropping dead and you know billions were dying a day or a million a day. And also, even the stats they did have, which was a few hundred thousand total um, throughout the first year or whatever, die, dying from COVID, even those were inflated by tremendous amounts, maybe a hundredfold or a thousandfold, but tremendous amounts. And, and, in, the, and the book, so in the book, I explain why I think they were inflated. There are three massive different methods they use to inflate the numbers. So that's one of the big reasons I wrote the book, the inflation of the numbers, but the suppression of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, maybe vitamin C and D and, and, all sort, and zinc and all sorts of other um, treatments that were effective, suppressing them so that they can get people to take remdesivir, which was their pet drug that made a lot of money, and then the vaccines, which made uh, you know, 30, 40 billion for Pfizer and Moderna. So those and, and the masks, I wrote about the effective, ineffectiveness of the masks. So all those reasons, I was, writing, I was writing a lot of articles for Liberty Block, my website, for libertyblock.com. And I'd written like 15, 20 articles. And I said, you know what? I got to write a whole book. So I, I kind of took them all and put it into right. book format and then wrote a lot more and did more research. And eventually I had a whole book. And then I, I published it in like uh, May or something. Or I tried May publishing it. On- so this was before a lot of the vaccine stuff. Yes. So, so I mean, the vaccine was out. Many people were getting the vaccine in May, but it wasn't the um, the vaccine mandates weren't rolled out yet. Yeah, because I first um, published it in like May, the vaccines were barely being rolled out a tiny bit. So we didn't quite know that they were not that effective and that they were not as safe as they said. So not as safe or effective as as they they claimed. So I, I think I tried self publishing it in May. And unlike the Blueprint for Liberty, which I so I was familiar after publishing my first book on Amazon KDP self publishing, but so I was familiar with it, and to my astonishment, they blocked it. So I, I tried uploading it, the whole files and everything, and publishing it on Amazon, and they blocked this book. They, my first book about secession, anarchism, and all that stuff, they were fine with, no problem. But Corona Fascism, the title itself, or whatever other AI triggered their their systems, they blocked it. So then I panicked, and that's why I went to my, to a publisher. I went to Defiance Press and Publishing, and and I submitted the book to them. They published the book, but it took you know four or five months, and then they put it on Amazon under their account. Right. So let's, um, I feel like so much stuff has been done to us that it's hard to remember like the list of things like, you know, it starts with the lockdowns maybe. Um, and then with 
the reopenings, but then they turned out to be partial reopenings with like, you know, oh, so-and-so, you can't go into the restaurant at this time or with this many people. What What's your like, um, let, maybe you could try to first give like a, a short list of all the things that that have been done policy-wise, or, you know, I know that's a very uh, vanilla term, like coronavirus policy when you're talking about COVID fascism. <laughs> but, uh, that's why I wait, just call it corona fascism. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me what, what are the main ingredients to that? Let's, let's put it that way. The propaganda, overall the fear propaganda that the, the government's been doing in concert with their cronies in the media, so all, all government, all media, including companies from McDonald's to PayPal to Google to Facebook, but the biggest things were the shutting down of the economy here in New Hampshire, as I'm sure you know, we had the hottest economy yeah. in the United States. We have trem- tremendous prosperity, just amazing economy. We have possibly the, the highest or top three highest median household income. We have the lowest taxes. We have the lowest unemployment in the United States of all 50 states. And Dictator Sununu, when he shut down the legislature and started ruling by executive, by executive fiat for 60 months, he derailed that economy because he forced many businesses to shut down. Now, he did have a fair amount of exemptions for businesses from the lockdowns, but even those that were allowed to operate, I think, had big restrictions as far as hours and cleaning and social distancing and what they could do. They could only sell alcohol to go instead of alcohol in the bars or something. So a lot of restrictions, and that hurt our economy really bad, and our economy is still probably not yet fully recovered. So that was really, really bad. And I have a whole section of the book because, again, I wrote an article, so I kind of put the article into the book in a full chapter about the health of the economy, saying the economy is the same as health because I was accused by a lot of people of being you know, a typical greedy capitalist and caring about the economy over lives. And they said, it's about lives. It's worth sacrificing the economy if it saves lives. So I did a whole chapter explaining the incredibly uh, like easy to understand strong link between prosperity and healthy economy and median household income and jobs and unemployment and death. And if you look at the Great Depression, uh, the Great Recession of 2008, that was linked to over 10,000 suicides, at least just from that, so suicides. But talk about people starving, go to Africa, and if you look at the median household income in African countries, you know, the average one is maybe 100 bucks a year. That's why they live like 20 years shorter lives than we do. So there's a correlation. If you look at every country in the world, look at the income and look at the um, life expectancy. And there's almost a perfect correlation always. So if the economy gets worse, we're going to be dying. And it's, it's pretty simple to understand why as far as mm. food and exercise and health care and all that stuff. So, so the economy being bad actually directly translates to us being less healthy and dying. So... I mean, it sounds like you're saying, so, you know, people often frame the debate as money versus lives, but you're saying the debate is actually lives versus lives. Exactly. They're the same thing. The economy, a healthy economy is a healthy people as far as their health care, because without money, we, we would be dying because we wouldn't get good health care and healthy food. Yeah. Um, what are some other negative effects of the, uh, of the, of COVID fascism? government mandates or, uh, or or mask mandates and lockdowns that people might not be aware of? Well, we're seeing, I have a whole two chapters about the masks. One is the medical negative effects, like scientifically about the masks, how it obviously decreases oxygen and, and, and uh, increases the amount of CO2 you retain because you can't exhale CO2. So both, both on both ends, it's pretty bad. Um, but we've yet to see the results of the damage of long-term high CO2 and low oxygen, but I have a whole other chapter of just the social and psychological negative effects, the harms of masks and a whole other chapter of children and, and, you know, they have to learn how to communicate and 
pretty much all the uh, scientists that are, and about speech and, and communication agree that like 70% of communication is nonverbal, meaning pretty much the face. And if you can't see most of the face, that a lot of communication is not happening. And now I think a few days ago, was it the uh, CDC or some federal government agency came out and said, we're totally revamping the expectation for um, the, the growth psychologically of, of the communication ability of like toddlers. Instead of toddlers at five years old being able to say like, a thousand words, it's acceptable if they say like 200 words because, mm. you know, they're admitting that communication is going to suffer in children. So very interesting when that happened a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's something that I'm, I'm very concerned with, if, you know, with young children always having to either put on masks or be around people with masks is, you know, I, I'm. Th- how much do you know about what the effect of that is going to be? Because is, is that kind of still an open question of just how bad that's going to be? Or, um, you know, what... what what else can you tell me about it? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, there there have been some studies probably on on moderate and mild and um, you know hypoxia, low oxygen in the blood on a short term and medium term and long term basis because patients with COPD generally have slightly lower levels of oxygen and higher levels of CO two because they have trouble um, exhaling the CO two as well. So we, so we that's, know what they that's like. for children, children and adults. Yeah, I mean, COPD is is really for. Yeah. Um, adults, children okay. wouldn't really have COPD. It's chronic. It takes decades to take effect. But I mean, there are kids with, with uh, cystic fibrosis and, and other lung disease. Um, and then there's people at altitude and stuff. So we, we know what, what happens. Um, if you have chronically low oxygen you're, and, and high CO2, your blood becomes a little more acidotic and your, your triggers, usually your CO2 and acid is what triggers a breath in the brain. Um, so, you know, that gets a little, a little messed up, but you know, you'll still survive, but overall low oxygen and high CO2 just make you have brain fog, irritability, confusion, a little bit slower, a little bit just mm. more maybe depressed, maybe more angry, just a little bit of mood disorders, just a little bit, not totally going to make them go crazy, but it's going to affect them a little bit. So your memory might be lacking a little bit. If you're de- oxygen deprived, your memory might be worse. Who knows? You might be more confused or more anxious or irritable. So, I mean, this happens. I've, I've seen it plenty uh, with patients who are hypoxic or hypercapnic in the ambulance. So, um, right. You know, that's one effect. Also, when people have chronically high oxygen or chronically low oxygen, what happens is the blood senses and, and their brain and their body senses that their oxygen levels are low. So it, it tries to, you know, breathe more. But one of the other things it does on a long-term basis is your uh, kidneys secrete erythropoietin, which is a hormone that tells your bone marrow to start producing more red blood cells because that's what carries oxygen. So it just provides more bus, more school buses and more seats to carry the oxygen. So at least there's a higher capacity to potential to carry oxygen. So they, so you're get more blood cells, which is good, but it makes your blood thicker. So again, just increases by some small percentage, but significant, the chance of all coagulopathy. So all clotting disorders from strokes to heart attacks, because you're going to have thicker blood. So that's another negative effect that we're, we know for a fact happens with, with chronically low oxygen. Right. But what, um, that happens with chronically low oxygen, but the question I, I would have, or, or that someone might ask is what, is wearing these cloth masks, I don't know, um, well, I guess there are people who work in stores who have to wear them like all day, every day. Um, or what about people who, I don't know, maybe wear them one hour a day when trying to get a few things done? Like, um, um, uh, you know, are, are you actually getting lower oxygen from these masks? Like, aren't you breathing through these masks? One of the arguments against the masks is they're not doing anything because you could breathe anyway. Uh, but if you could breathe anyway, 
are you really getting that much less oxygen? I don't know the answer. I'm just. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, a great question. Um, yeah. I, I want to do some studies. In fact, I've been telling my friends I want to do a study for, for months now. And actually, I bought some surgical masks and N95 masks. They're a bit expensive, but I was able to find them still. And I have like 25 of each, I think. And I want to do a study where I'm gonna, I have a, a pulse oximeter, which you can buy for a few bucks at CBS or, or Amazon. And I want to test the pulse oximetry, the pulse, the breathing rate, and then all the other um, more subjective findings, asking people questions, how they feel, if they feel short of breath. I want to do that with, with control groups, so no masks, sitting normally relaxing, surgical mask, maybe a cloth mask, a surgical mask, and NFI masks. So do like four different um, group um, faces of, of the experiment, but I have no time at all. Um, and I'd have to get people, maybe pay people to come and do the study. So yeah, anybody yeah, listening yeah. wants to do that study, I give you full permission, go do that study. It'll be awesome. But I did a, a little bit of studying on myself and what I've seen with patients. Here's what happens to be honest. If you put on a mask or, you know, a cloth mask, which is totally ineffective. Um, and I have a whole chapter with just tons of studies. I have like 12 studies showing that surgical masks and even N95 masks don't do crap, nothing like, like zero negligible effect on COVID. So no difference at all. Even N95, zero difference in COVID rates. If you look at actual really? rates. Yep, do they? Yep. So what I'm sure they have an effect on something like they exist for a reason, right? It, and I'm, I'm, sorry, I, I'm sorry. I'm asking. That's a dumb question, but like, no, you no, know, they're, 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 I mean, we've used them in medicine, to be honest, doctors and nurses and medics have used right. NI5 and surgical masks for um, when we know or we highly suspect TB, meningitis, um, flu, hmm. um, and maybe some other viruses. Yeah. So we've used it, but now looking at all these studies, some are new, some are old studies. The studies are very clear. Surgical masks and even NI5 have no difference. They're the same as far as um, airborne viruses. And, and they, have, they have essentially zero effect. And there's all these studies cited. And they're published on PubMed, NIH, you know, gov. So they're published by the National Institute of Health. So they're published studies, peer-reviewed and all that stuff. So yeah, they, they don't really do anything. But yeah, it's a good question. I don't know why I and doctors and everyone still wear surgical masks and NI5 masks. They, they do nothing. In fact, they might have negative effect due to the filtration theory where it filters out, it catches some stuff and filters out the tiny particles that go through the mask. And the tiny particles are lighter. Obviously the COVID molecule itself is like 0.001 micron or something, or, you know, however tiny it is. And that's going to float in the air because it weighs less than air. So it's going to float longer. So the filtration theory, some people are big believers in it. I haven't looked at all the data on it, but because of the filtration theory or because the fact that the mask inside of it is moist and humid and warm, so that is exactly the breeding ground for bacteria and viruses, right? So and for those two reasons, it might actually increase the effects. Um, yeah, what was the question you asked me before that? Oh, um, ah, I don't remember. I think it was something about the, um, so I, I was asking you about like what the, uh, like why we still wear masks at hospitals. I've had to go to a lot of, you know, doctor's offices and hospitals recently, and I've had to put on masks, even though I know very little about it. Um, but yeah, I, so I guess it's the, the, the balance between, you know, uh, it doesn't do anything, uh, versus it, uh, deprives you of oxygen. Um, is, is there, yeah, I was going to tell you about the oxygen. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, in the, the experiment, oxygen, right. I, I did a short one on myself. What I saw, to be honest, was not, I didn't put on a mask. My, my, my oxygen didn't plummet immediately. What happened? Mm. So, so in the body, um, and again, anyone who works in medicine you, on the first day, you'll start seeing compensation. So human bodies are amazing. We compensate to maintain homeostasis. If yeah. something happens, if someone stabs you and you lose blood, you're going to compensate by, you know, a more rapid heartbeat, which will end up hurting you in the long run because you're, you're going to bleed out more. Um, but you're also going to, your, your other vessels and other areas might vasoconstrict so that less blood goes to the, to that area. So, you know, your body's always compensating for things. If I put a mask over you, there will be some resistance in and out. 
So the resistance all the way in decreases oxygen intake. So naturally your body's going to breathe a little faster, a little deeper, and your heart rate's going to increase to circulate the red blood cells with oxygen faster. So when I put on the pulse ox and the mask, a surgical mask, and then an F5 mask, my pulse ox stayed within normal limits. It barely even dropped, um, maybe like 99 to 98, which is still totally normal. Um, but my, my heart rate went up from like 60 to like 90 or 100. And my breathing rate went up a little bit. Mm. And my breathing probably got deeper. So it's the compensating. So I'm, I'm not going to, again, because honesty is what it has to be all about. So I'm not going to say, put on a mask and you're going to die of hypoxia. Humans are going to compensate. If I put, you know, five and I'm fives and duct tape over your mouth or, you know, or, or you know, massive cloth, you're going to compensate. And you're not going to die unless I 100% obstruct your airway. But compensating still means there's an issue. I mean, you know, if, if the heart rate goes up, that's a sign that it means that they are technically you know, having shortness of breath and technically having resistance and hypoxia, or I could call it fully compensated hypoxemia. You know, that's what I could call it because it, it's compensated, but otherwise it would be hypoxia. So, so yeah, that's the, the, the short answer to that. But so it sounds like it's, it's causing body changes. Even if you're getting as much oxygen, you're still having your heart rate. Exactly. Rate and then you go to people who, yeah. who do have pulmonary issues or are overweight or are walking upstairs. And I'll tell you, I am in, in almost as good shape as you could be in unless you're like pro athlete. Cause I, you know, I can run like five miles and, and all that, you know, box for an hour. Um, and even me, when I put on an NI5 mask and walk up a flight of stairs, 20 stairs, I am short of breath, really feeling like tired and short of breath and feeling crappy. And I got to take a breath because it's killing me. So I can't imagine what the, you know, 65 year old overweight nurse is doing or what, you know, the others, you know, non-healthcare people, people who are, are wearing NI5s or surgical masks because the propaganda has scared the crap out of them for the last two years. So they're wearing NI5 masks. I saw today, again, a guy, he was like a, a, a young or middle-aged guy, probably young guy, like 20s, 30s, Asian fellow, and uh, in the gym wearing NI5 mask, exercising. It was KNI5, so it was kind of the, the Chinese version that's a little thinner and easier to breathe through. But still, I want to tell him, I, you know, I'm going to be polite, so I didn't go over to him, but right. I want to screw with him and bother him. But, you know, I want to tell him, dude, it, it doesn't do anything. I look at the studies, but also you're killing yourself. You're, you're, we're working out and it's getting yeah. obviously the sweat and sweat and moist and you're probably trapping so much bacteria and viruses in there. So I, th I think in the book, I mentioned like when you, especially when you put the mask down, like everyone reuses it again, you're supposed to use all masks, surgical masks and NI5 masks once and then throw it out. And I think according to OSHA, it should be used for no more than like two hours. Even if you keep it on after two hours, you should take it off and throw it out. Two or I've four kept hours mine for uh, quite a bit longer than that when, but, uh, when that whole thing was going on. I'm going to plead the fifth about how long I've had my surgical mask in my pocket for. But um, I, you know, I, I often say, people say, oh, you still have that mask on you. It's getting dirty. I'm like, listen, it's lasted me six months just fine. And I have no complaints. So I'm going to keep using it. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but everyone does. And I've seen doctors take masks out of their pockets, EMTs, medics, nurses that put it in their pocket, which is everyone admits it's not the correct procedure and it's disgusting and it's dirty. And you put it down in a hospital setting, which we all know is the dirtiest type of setting because that's where yeah. sick people are. And it picks up bacteria and viruses. And then you put it by your mouth. So instead of a virus being here, now it's here by the entrance to your airway, AKA your mouth and nose. And then because you have a mask on, you're breathing heavier, as we discussed a minute ago. And now you take a super deep breath and now you, you inhale that virus or bacteria particle deep into your lungs, to your alveoli, which, you know, just gives it the best chance of breathing and ultimately you know, developing and, and giving you the, infecting you with the actual virus or bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's alarming. I think a lot of people wear it um like the example of your guy at the gym well first of all they're told that it protects other people and people are you know and maybe this is a good thing about human nature maybe they, they they're more likely to listen if they're told it affects other people because they're like all right i don't want to be that guy and then secondly um 
they know it uh, upsets other people. So maybe they don't really think they need the mask or, or want to wear the mask, but they're just they would just rather deal with the people who don't like the mask than the people who want the mask, <laughs> who are going to be worse to them. Yeah, it's probably the safer route. And like I said, there's a lot of propaganda. This, the corona fascism propaganda that we've seen over the past few years, I think might outdo uh, gobbles from Holocaust Germany like 80 years ago for the number one most intense propaganda campaign in human history. Because we've all seen it for the last two, two years. Every TV, commercial, billboard, business, signs, social media, everything in the world you cannot avoid it for a second. For more yeah. than a few seconds, you can't not see a corona fascism something. The billboards all say, I get my, I give my sons, my kids the vaccine. I put masks on my kids. I'm a doctor and I trust the vaccines. And, you know, we, I wear my freaking mask 24 seven. The propaganda is everywhere. It's, it's just, it's unnerving. It's weird. I, I thought it was hilarious when I was in, uh, in New York. So I, and by the way, I want to tell you about moving to here to New Hampshire from New York. But when I was in New York, the entire side, one side of the train, when you're in the subway is all like, wear your mask. But if you turn around, the whole other side of the train says, play the lottery, which is like, you know, and so people argue, um, you know, for some reason, they, uh, they, they, they know one side is like, all right, maybe, you know, maybe the message to play the lottery isn't quite, uh, uh, maybe I really don't have to do that. <laughs> but the other side is, is taken as kind of um, this weird, uh, well, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, public messaging. So it, it's not ad, but it's, it's a little different, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's taken a lot differently. Anyway, I moved here a year ago and I, I know you have a lot of complaints about what they did in New Hampshire, but I have to say when I moved here, it was like COVID never existed. It was, it was crazy. I mean, you moved from New York city, from New York city. Yeah. Where in New York city. Yeah. So, uh, well, I lived in Brooklyn for six years. I was in Midtown and, and, and Manhattan. I worked Jeez. in Manhattan. So, yeah, it was, well, it, you know, and, and it was, you're right, people would yell at you on the street if you didn't have your mask on in the park. Um, and people would argue over who's getting in the elevator. Like, I'd get in the elevator, and then, there, and then you're only supposed to have two people in the elevator, so there'd be two people coming at once, and they'd start fighting with each other over who's going to get in. One time, I just... I got out and took the stairs because I didn't want to hear it anymore. But uh, it was just like every day I had to deal with this. And these elevators are like in your own home. So it was uh, very, very frustrating. Um, so I, I want to ask you about all of these mandates to show your IDs and vaccine cards in in places like New York City. And I think they had them in Boston for a while and, and D.C. for a while where, you know, um, I was in New York uh uh, last fall, and I didn't realize I was in Queens. I stopped for like a, I stopped for a, a, a sandwich, and they asked me to give, give my cards, and I was like, "What's what's in the sandwich?" I forgot where I was, and I'm like, "Why do you think these cities put these weird requirements uh, to show ID and Vax cards in the first place?" And you know, even though you're often in these buildings for like you know a combo coffee shop um, store. You could be in the store for 30 minutes, but once you order a coffee, they require you uh, to show your Vax cards and ID. Why do you think that was the policy that they, they chose? I think the simplest answer is politicians love obedience and control, and it's a way to exert control and to demonstrate obedience. So if they have 99% compliance or 100% compliance with vaccine mandates and showing the vaccine passports to do things in New York City and you know all over, 
then they know that the people are compliant and, and they're obedient sheep. And, and you know that's feedback for them. So they love control and they love to measure their obedience and they want to see how far they can push us. Um, and then the other side of that is if you have a vaccine passport, it means you got the vaccine. And that means that their friends, because the politicians are the government side and their friends are the, you know, the other face of the, you know, the same person, the other side of the coin um, in big pharma. So Moderna and, and Pfizer, we all know the tremendous relationships between Pfizer and Moderna and the FDA, the, the other government agencies. So they're, and they're both making an extra 30, 40 billion just from the vaccines, from the COVID vaccines this year. So we're talking 30, 40 billion extra they're making. So it's, it's big money. It's worth making these mandates so that they can get money. And I'm sure they give a few billion to the biggest politicians and government agencies and, and you know, Fauci from Remdesivir, uh, Fauci and the other guys at the NIAID apparently can own patents. I didn't realize until a few months ago, researching for the book or hearing it on some other book or podcast that people in the government, only, only in the NIH, I think, can, even though they're in the government and they're the ones who regulate like the medical pharmaceutical businesses, they can own patents. So Fauci owns, I think it was like 70 patents, some, some massive amount of patents and he gets royalties on it. And, and you know who, who the um, oversight, the ethics oversight director is? Oh yeah, this was in uh, uh, RFK's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. The ethics oversight director of like the NIH is Anthony Fauci's wife. So the conflicts oh of God. interest, yeah, the conflicts yeah. of interest are unbelievable. I mean, I, I, mean, I thought you were going to say it was Fauci himself, but yeah. uh, <laughs> no, it's pretty wife. close. So yeah. it's conflict of interest, but um, I think like a few months ago or a few years ago, they switched the law to say, instead of getting unlimited royalties, because he was making who knows how many millions of dollars of royalties from his patents every year for, for you know, the last 50 years. He's been in DC 50, 50 years. But a few months ago or years ago, they, they did pass a law to limit royalties, I think, per medication to like 100, 100 some thousand dollars per medication, I think. So at least Fauci can't make like more than a few million or whatever off the royalties of his medication patents per year. But there are still other ways he can make money, either legal or otherwise. So it, it's so sickening. I think I think most people understand the right and left and center. Everyone with a brain understands cronyism now. They understand corruption. Corruption is, is one of the easiest concepts to explain to even toddlers. So I think I think the cat's out of the bag now, and, and people are you know wise to what's going on in DC, and that's why there's so much pushback and protesting and the massive convoys. And in Canada, let's go Justin and let's go Brandon. And, um, you know, Justin Trudeau is full dictator now and Biden's full dictator and people are pushing back. And, and what I say in the last chapter of the book is we're never going to save D.C. We're never going to make D.C. politicians agree with us that coronavirus is bad and freedom is good. That's why secession is in the last chapter of my book, like almost all my books. In the last chapter, I say, listen, if we really want, if we're serious about preserving freedom for the next generation, secession and being totally independent in New Hampshire, cutting the ties, all ties with D.C. and the union is going to be the only hope we have. You mentioned before that. Um politicians like to see how how far they could push, how much they can control. And it seems to me like, like you know, okay, so, so that we wanted to see how, how, how much you could push the population over the last couple of years. And it feels like, wow, they went way further than I would have hoped. But it also seems like there might have been a limit. Do you think there was a limit that they found at some point, maybe recently? Or maybe it was the amount of time. A limit when okay. you mean people started pushing back or refusing yeah, yeah, to comply. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's all a spectrum and there's drop off. The the more hardcore they go, the fewer people will be complying. Or, you know, right. the more drop off and non-compliance will get, the further they go. So as they went to vaccine mandates and shots and boosters, for instance, I have a lot of friends who got one one or two shots. And they say, I'm not going to get boosters. It's getting ridiculous. 
the info information is coming out showing it's not that safe as they promised, not as effective as they promised. It's looking more and more every day like Pfizer lied in their trials, which is who knows what kind of tremendous crime. When they said it's 95% yeah. effective, it's not. Even against the original variant, it, it totally was not. And they said it, there, were, there were zero really serious side effects in their trials, which can't be true because we've seen tremendous amounts, what, you know, 20,000 deaths and like hundreds of thousands of real serious various reports, including a lot of myocarditis. So there's no way there were zero serious effects in all their trials of 40,000 patients if, if there are thousands and thousands of really serious um, adverse events. So they probably lied in multiple ways on their trials. So as we're seeing that, a lot of people are not getting the booster, you know, the vaccines and the boosters also because they might have natural immunity, which again, I can write a whole book about natural immunity and how they crushed it. They launched one of the most vicious campaigns, smear campaigns ever against natural immunity, saying that even if you have natural immunity because you have the infection, still you have to get the vaccine. So it's so sickening how anti-science they were. And I, I think a lot of people are, are starting to non-comply and push back. But again, it's hard. And that's why we have people in New York. And again, I, I lived in Queens for 10 years and, and I still have a lot of friends in Queens who think we're going to save New York and turn it red or turn it gold or whatever and, and make it Republican or Libertarian. It's never going to happen. There's zero chance. If they if they want freedom, they have to move to New Hampshire and eventually help and help us move away from DC. Because as long as we're part of the union, you know, we can do some good things in New Hampshire, but as long as we're part of the union, we can't do that much good. For the most part, we're restrained by federal law and they can they can, you know, tax us and not get it back in the form of grants any day. I, I we were never really sold uh well on the need for the booster. Uh, because I feel like the first one, at least, okay, you could say it was it was bogus. They said, okay, 95% effective. Um, it was, you know, the original variant was still raging. The booster is like, yeah, you'll get this booster, but it'll wear off in a couple months and then go to the level that your original vaccine is. And it's like, well, you know, I... I I, I even even on your own terms, it doesn't seem like I'm getting sold this uh, as a good, um, you know, uh, cost benefit um, because you know would I even even if my side effect is I just feel crummy for a couple of days, am I willing to feel crummy for a couple of days to have two months of of protection? I don't know if that's well. What was so amazing is because of the propaganda and the Stockholm syndrome and just the the lying and this disgusting vicious lies, they were saying at the same time. Get, a, get the vaccine, get the booster, it'll last forever, you'll have immunity forever, but also come back in three months and see me again. <laughs> they really said yeah. both at a, two different sides of their mouth. It was unbelievable. They kept saying it. Get the vaccine, you know, studies show it lasts forever, longer than natural immunity, even though we know natural immunity gives you antibodies and, and, and killer T cells and memory T cells for life. So again, and a lot of the propaganda that even, even I almost fell for, for for a little bit was they said, you know, your antibodies wear off from even natural immunity after a few months, right? Natural immunity, you get the vaccine, you get the actual infection and then six months later your antibodies might be low yes dumb dumb well, that's how it works it. people do get it multiple times yeah yes yeah, so, so only recently with i think the latest variant a few people did report getting it after they had natural immunity but still extremely rare the way all infections work it, you know very basic immunology is if you get you you get any infection bacterial or um uh, viral or from anything else you get antibodies and, and you have memory t cells that remember it so your antibodies do wear off. They, they're not circulating in the blood. They're not needed anymore. But your memory T cells are there forever. You have, you know, very few um, um, memory cells. And, you know, they're circulating out there. They're kind of dormant. And if you encounter it again, the memory T cell says, oh, I remember that guy and how to fight him. And they quickly make millions of antibodies. So your antibody level could be low, but it doesn't mean you don't have memory T cells. Are there ways to check for memory T cells? I don't know. Maybe there are tests you can do. But saying that antibodies are low and therefore you need a vaccine booster is ridiculous. Anyone who took 
immunology 101 in fifth grade, like in fifth grade biology or something, you learn the very basics. What's a white blood cell? You know, what are the different types of, of T cells? Very simple stuff. So saying antibodies are low, again, is ridiculous, just straight up lies and propaganda. So you recently did a debate on supporting bans on vaccine mandates for public businesses. Can you tell me, like, why do you support that? And what are the two sides of that debate? Yeah, well, I'm a, a voluntarist and an anarcho-capitalist, so I don't believe that the government should exert any force, and therefore the government should not exist because all, all it does is exert force. Um, so I'm a voluntarist, and I believe I'm a abs- uh, property rights absolutist. And for years, I've debated against restricting private business, even if if it's for a good reason to restrict private business from doing bad things. Because so, I believe in property rights, and every person in the business, you know, they have the full right to do whatever they want as long as they don't physically hurt someone. That being said, over the last uh, few years, debating at Maslish, who's the attorney who's on our podcast on the Liberty Block, over the last two years, he convinced me to come to his side, which is these businesses are not really private because they are controlled for the most part by the government and they're really actually violating people's rights, like you know, uh, bodily autonomy, medical freedom. And because they're both violating rights and they are so closely embedded with the government, like funding and control and, and the influence from the government, they're a quasi-government agency like semi-governmental, meaning I'm okay regulating them. If you're okay regulating schools, which are government, well, a bit private, you know, teachers are human beings, but it's mostly government, you know, public schools are government. If you're okay regulating schools and police, you should be okay regulating businesses, like, especially like Walmart that is in bed with the government. So yeah, in the debate, I, the, the whole thing is available. I wrote an article about it, I believe. So there's an article on libertyblock.com and there's the, the full video of like an hour and a half long of the debate. And I made, you know, a lot of these points and, you know, you have to watch the full thing, but pretty much what it all boiled down to is, are these businesses run more privately by private interests or are they controlled more by government officials? And if you think about what a business is, a business makes a few important decisions, when to open, when to close, what to sell, what prices are, who to hire and who to fire. And, you know, that's what businesses do. All those decisions are made pretty much 100% by the government, right? The government tells you when you can open, when you can close, who to hire, how much to pay them, and wage laws. Uh, you know how to go about everything, what you do. You know because of OSHA well, and, and other yeah, labor laws, it, there are you know billions of laws. Well, they their regulations on how to hire. They don't necessarily tell you who to hire, right? What do you mean about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't tell you exactly the person, but there are so many regulations for hiring. All of the labor acts, if you go, go right, the all whole the federal laws of labor. strategy, okay. Yeah, they're telling you so much about it. Put it this way if I made a business and I want to hire a certain person for a certain reason, I probably can't. I have to mm-hmm. check with the government and say, is this okay that I hire this person? And they say, well, how many people do you have that are you know black and female and old and young? Because you have to be diverse. So I can't make my own decisions, meaning it's not a private business. The government has to take responsibility for that business because, like you, the state universities that get funded. And, and people are aware of this with universities that, you know, they understand the concept. If you're getting a lot of money and control and laws from the government, you're not really totally private anymore. So there's no business. There are some agorists. There's me when I sell books, off, off, you know, off the books. Um, that's that's agorism. And that's fine. That's not government control. But when, if you have a storefront and you are jumping through and you have all the OSHA massive posters on your wall saying, I am a good sure. chief. I comply with the billions of OSHA laws and labor laws and other federal regulations and minimum wage and all the other reporting and all that crap. That means that you are doing what the government wants you to do. So you're kind of like their deputy in a partnership with them. So it's a public-private partnership. You know, look at uh, Boeing or Amazon or, or even uh, Tesla. It's it's a public-private partnership. I just admit it, and it's part of the government. So I'm not going to be really sad if I see it get regulated, especially if they're doing evil things like forcing people to get vaccines because they're lying with propaganda and saying it's super safe and effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard some people who are employees at the company want to 
make sure their fellow employees are vaxxed, but it's not just if the employees are there. They want their remote employees vaxxed. They're like, I just don't want to work with anyone who doesn't have the vaccine, even if they're I'm talking to them over Zoom or over Slack. I just I I want them out. Uh, I've heard that, and it's kind of um, it's um, it's very jarring coming from you know our culture used to be very you know what you do in your own time is your own business and it doesn't affect me, and it was very jarring to have that change maybe it was really wasn't overnight but still it's 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 jarring to have that kind of crystallized overnight into that kind of like uh that the when i started hearing people say that it's sort of uh, to me crystallized like how extreme people are willing to go yeah when, when they started pushing the masks and vaccines for those who work remotely like via zoom that's you know one of the many times when a lot of people millions i think realized, okay, it's not about our safety. These people are insane. They're control freaks because obviously you're not going to catch a virus through a video chat from a thousand miles away, but, you know, pushing the masks and vaccines or the the other way of looking at it is people don't want to work with the kinds of people who don't get vaccines and masks because the only people who don't get all the vaccines and all the masks is crazy white nationalist insurrectionist Trumpsters who should all be shot on site. So, you know, maybe they don't want to work with such evil insurrectionists. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it used to be that like people did a whole bunch of different things in their own time, and some people maybe are a little crazy, and it's like okay, we can still get work done while we're here. But I guess that's uh, that's not the way people think anymore. Yeah, that's back when we had freedom, and now we don't really. um, The last bastion of freedom is going to be New Hampshire, so that's why I keep pushing everyone to move here. Um, All right. Well, I'm here, so yeah, yeah, (laughs) so it works for me. Uh, Where the so. Maybe you could talk a little bit before we, we have to go wrap up in terms of like, where do we stand today? It seems like a lot of the mask mandates are being lifted. Um, this is far from over. State of the Union last night, it seems like it was hardly mentioned. It was like, you know, it, it was like this never happened. Uh, where, where do we stand now on on corona fascism? Well, dictator Biden said in his campaign, I think, years ago that he's going to end COVID, and he did. I mean, it took two years, and it took starting a war to distract everyone, but now, look, we're all distracted, so we're not worried about COVID anymore. We're, instead of being paranoid about COVID, we're paranoid about World War III. So he, he fulfilled his promise. Um, I, I think, like I wrote my book about a year ago, it's, it's wearing out, and eventually the people are going to get resistant to all the corona, far, corona paranoia, corona fascism, and they're not going to be paranoid anymore. And and if people aren't fearful and paranoid, they're harder to control. So I think I said in the book about a year ago when I first edition, and I was right, that they're going to transition this paranoia and you know this propaganda to the next thing. And I think I mentioned it, it might be a big war. It might be some other massive uh, health scare. It might be more terrorism or bioterrorism, which this was bioterrorism. But it might be any other big thing, most likely a big war. And uh, you know, I wasn't the only one. A lot of commentators were saying they're probably going to have a big war to – get everyone's focus on something to make them fearful and focused and patriotic. And now we have everyone like good sheep flying the Ukrainian flag uh, without knowing, you know, where Ukraine and Russia are on the map. So I think a lot of people realize that they're going to phase this out, but it has to be a smooth phase out into the next paranoia and propaganda. So, yeah, you know, and also what they got from COVID, what they've wanted for years and, 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 and a few other guys on my podcast, have been saying this for years, what they want is a centrally controlled digital currency, a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, which which could this helps because they're getting rid of cash because cash is dirty and it's unenvironmental and you got to make it and let's just have a digital a digital currency. But also you'll get some of the, the kids who think they're hip and think that digital currency is the same as cryptocurrency 
even though you know it's not digital, it's not crypto, it's not uh, hidden or private or anything. But they they wanted to get you know chips or the same thing as chips. We don't need microchips. We have phones. But they wanted contact tracing. They got that. They wanted a CBDC. They're getting that. They're going to implement it soon. The Federal Reserve has been working on it for years now. So Corona fascism fulfills a lot of the purposes that they wanted it to fulfill, I believe. And now they can phase it out because they're going to have their their apps on the phones that they put on our phones with with the max, the uh, contact tracing crap that we have in like every state, including Dictator Sununu. When he shut down the legislature, he, he passed one of the executive orders that he made. He just passed the law like that was contact tracing for restaurants. So I think every state probably has that. Almost every state in the world has contact tracing. So they they almost you know fulfilled all the usefulness of corona fascism. They got what they wanted. Now they can phase it out to the next thing. And they have so much more control and we have so much less privacy. So they've they've accomplished their goals. All right. Well, I don't know what to say to that other than I pray that uh, we get a break someday. Um, Alu, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, where can people find uh, your book and where can people find Liberty Block? Libertyblock.com. And they can find all my books on Amazon. So if they go to Amazon, um, Corona Fascism is available on Audible as well. And I'm working on the audiobooks for the others. But go to Amazon, type in the names of my books or my name, Alu Axelman, Elliot Axelman. It'll type in Axelman. It'll all find the books. And thank you very much for having me. I hope you guys check out the books and let me know what you think. All right, great. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, what did you think of that? Thought-provoking? Once again, I want to hear your thoughts. Join the locals at maximum.locals.com. One thing I think about differently is I think on the question of, you know, do elites plan this all out? I, I see it more. I actually think we're more in a chaotic system and we don't really know where this is going. And public opinion, which includes people in government and in Corporations can shift back and forth in unpredictable ways. Powerful people try to control it. I think when you have uh, a huge power imbalance, they try to con- they indiv- certain very powerful individuals have more control, and you get more uh, uh, um, you get less stability. Um, so, but you know, the elites try to shift the world. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes not. We're in a particularly unstable era right now, so who knows where we're going. Um, And with that, all right, uh, for those of you who came to the end but missed the machine learning stuff and the tech stuff, do not despair. My paper, my academic paper on bias-corrected machine learning, which I've been working on for like five months, uh, but because I hadn't done it in a while, I wanted to get it revised. I wanted to, and well, you know I've been through something in between there. So it's going to be published either this week or next week, and Aaron and I will talk about it. And uh, also next week, we'll hear from people affected by the invasion uh, of Ukraine. So a lot to talk about for those of you in that region, like, you know, Godspeed. I know you have many decisions to make staying or going, where to go, um, you know, how to get in touch with friends and family. And for everyone else, have a great week. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.